This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making our truth journey a reality. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And I'm happy to report that Sanitas Radio's website is now up, ready for its launch on Tuesday, October the 1st, 2013. Take a look at the upcoming guests. It's going to be a lot of fun and great for mind, body, and spirit. Go to sanitasradio.com for more information. And for MMS, our USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material, and now Phytop Vitamins. Feel the difference. Visit the Veritas store for more information. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower? There's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And tonight's special guest is Dr. Judy Wood. Truth, the pursuit of evidence, not consensus. Right now on Veritas. Dr. Judy Wood earned a PhD from Virginia Tech and is a forensic scientist and an engineer with over 35 years of experience in this very area. 
including over 60 peer-reviewed articles and publications, as well as teaching this discipline at a university level and is a former professor of mechanical engineering. She has research expertise in experimental stress analysis, structural mechanics, deformation analysis, materials characterization, and materials engineering science. In the time since 9-11-01, she has applied her expertise to a forensic study of over 40,000 images, hundreds of video clips, and a large volume of witness testimony pertaining to the destruction of the World Trade Center complex. She is the author of the book, Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Free Energy Technology on 9-11. And to learn more about Dr. Judy Wood and purchase a book, visit her websites at drjudywood.com and wheredidthetowersgo.com, which are also linked at our website. And after 12 years of that Tuesday morning in 2001, I would like to welcome Dr. Judy Wood back to Veritas. Hello, Dr. Wood, and welcome back. How are you? Hello. It's great to be here. Great to be with you once again. It seems that um, as time goes by, I'm not sure if I can say that people seem to be forgetting, but it's been 12 years and there is still a cover-up. Why do we still have a cover-up? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one is because people want it that way. If they didn't want it that way, it would be different. But why they want it that way, they may not even be aware of. And I found that there's three things that keep people from understanding what happened. Number one is poor problem-solving skills. Uh, they tend to guess at the answer and then work backwards and cherry-pick data to support the answer. Number two is groupthink. People feel safer following their peers. So peer pressure can control people's uh, thoughts and, you know, public opinion. And the third thing is they can't handle the implications. They wish it weren't true, so they want, they'd rather uh, deceive themselves. It may or may not be conscious. So those three things, you know, keep things from, from going forward. And if it's too horrible of an outcome – People easily look for something else and also run with the herd. It, it is a survival instinct. You, you think of a, a, a big field full of deer, one gets spooked and they all go running. Only one of them knows why they're running. Same with a flock of geese. But 9-11 was an attack on human consciousness. It was a form of trauma-based mind control. And you think of, of children, you have trauma and they end up with a split personality of, of a type of schizophrenia to avoid having to deal with that very unpleasantness. What was 9-11? People compartmentalize that. And so they, they have their regular life, but then the 9-11 stuff, it, it's a trigger that triggers aggression. And I, I understand you had a guest on recently, Neil Sanders, who said it very well about That's right. um, you know, like let's grab the pitchforks and, and let's go get them. We gotta go get somebody. And I saw that on nine eleven. That's what really upset me about the most is when I went into campus, I you know, started out at home figuring stuff out. Then I went into campus, walked up the stairs, and there's these two faculty members saying, We gotta go take them out. We gotta take them all out. They were already with their pitchfork in hand, ready to go get the witch on their witch hunt. And that was scary. Like before they even know what happened, they just you know they're given um, like the the scent of a of a uh, rag for a bloodhound and go get them. 
But that's the issue that I'm I'm seeing a lot lately. We, we are leaving our thinking to someone else. In this case, to the media and the government. It wasn't even hours after that event happened, and already the media was using the name Osama bin Laden, and of course everybody was they had a blood in their mouths, if you will, and they wanted the government to do the thinking for us. Oh, if they're saying Osama bin Laden, let's go get him without using critical thinking. And I was mentioning to you offline that I recently reconnected with a, a good friend of my childhood who happens to be uh, you know, a, a, a law graduate from Georgetown, has a doctorate degree in law. She uh, stopped practicing law to become a teacher because that was her passion. And she was telling me that the goal of the Department of Education in the United States is essentially to make high school graduates think like seventh graders. In other words, to take critical thinking, to limit verbal and written uh, and writing skills. Do you think this is part of the problem? Very, very much. And I see more of a need for education now than ever. Not our, our uh, you know, uh, public fool system, as, as I've heard people call it, but uh, true education. It doesn't necessarily come in a, you know, a mass uh production line type of, of situation. Matter of fact, it's best if it doesn't. Uh, someone, I, I was reading a, a Swedish article with a Google translator recently, and I thought it was a beautiful statement. They're writing up about my work, and they, they said, um, you know, there is no need for another conspiracy than the one that destroyed the educational system. That's very powerful. Very, very. And Look what happened. Imagine this. The buildings turned to dust. They didn't burn up. They didn't slam to the ground. They turned to dust in midair. We know that because of lots of key features, lack of significant seismic signal, lack of a, a seismic signal that traveled through the earth. There wasn't one. And lack of damage to the bathtub. And we saw there was very little rubble left over. And we saw the, the steel turning to dust as it fell, trailing dust. So here was the, these huge buildings that turned to dust in midair right in front of our faces on TV. Why did so few people see it? That's the question we should all be asking. Couldn't it be because they see the buildings more or less come down? For example, right now there's a, a new campaign, you probably have seen it, where they're really pushing forward and I think this is this is important to show that there was a third building that call it what you will call it that it fell down call it that it disappeared call it that it dustified it went, it, away. It, it went, went away went away but but many people don't know that there was a third building involved. As a matter of fact, there were more buildings. Yeah, that, they don't know there was a fourth tower. They don't know that right. there was a fifth building and a sixth building. Seven. There were seven buildings that were destroyed that day, and there was an eighth building that was. That was uh, damaged. It was infected, and it kept deteriorating. They had to, you know, ended up having to take it down. It took them ten years. Um, but right, there was the, anything with the WTC prefix that day was destroyed, and, and and that's something that few people realized. It wasn't two towers. It wasn't three towers. It wasn't four towers. It wasn't five buildings, six buildings. It was seven buildings that were destroyed that day. And of course, they're going to, they usually mainstream, they would tell you, oh, Mel, but that's, it's just all that debris that bumped into those buildings that were in the, you know, close proximity. So they probably had structural damage and they had to be demolished. Well, then let's go see that debris that bumped into them. It, it doesn't exist. That's, that's the strange part. You see the damage immediately. 
and you just see powder all over the place. So where'd the, where'd the dust come from? All oh, this dust all over the place. But you first need to start out with what happened. That's the key. You first have to establish what happened before you can determine how it happened, before you can determine who did it or why they did it. But what did we hear on 9-11? They hate us for our freedoms. Bin Laden did it. And, you know, he, he did it with instructing people to fly airplanes into the buildings. But what happened? That was never discussed. We were told how it happened, who did it, why they did it, but we weren't given the information to determine what actually happened. And if you don't first understand what your problem statement is, you know, what problem are you solving? If you don't know what happened and you immediately start with how it happened, who did it, or what what did it, you have to assume the what part of it. You have to assume what happened. So you're solving an, an imaginary problem, not a real problem, because you're, you have to imagine what it was that happened. Who did it? What, what's it that got done? And that is a, a really key feature. And uh, you know, few people realize that. That's what forensic science is about, is first looking at what happened. With You don't need a theory to determine what happened. If you If the evidence doesn't tell you then you aren't determining what happened. And what happened is it's empirical evidence. And a lot of people don't understand what that means. Empirical evidence is evidence that is that anyone looking at it, any honest person looking at it, would come up with the same conclusion. Like you see, you have a thermometer in the wall with the, the mercury in it, the old-fashioned ones, and you see it's you know halfway between the 70 mark and the 80 mark. Okay, so it's 75. Anyone who looked who looks at it would see that that's reading 75 degrees. Now, we're not talking about whether or not it's calibrated correctly, but we're talking about what the reading is on that. <clears throat> Just like, a, you know, a tape measure. Everybody looks at it and says, yep, it's, it, this is 12 inches long. That's empirical evidence. And empirical evidence is the truth that theory must mimic. If if a theory doesn't agree with the empirical evidence, the theory is wrong. So why start with a theory? A theory does not produce evidence. And uh, somebody um, uh, had a quote that I thought was really good. Empirical evidence uh, is is not a theory. It is the artifact that truth left behind. And that is quite true. So the more evidence you gather, the more truth you have. Evidence cannot be refuted. Well, if they, that day or a few days after, they started saying that there were 19 hijackers and we went and we attacked Afghanistan, why didn't we, if, if 15 of the 19 alleged hijackers were Saudis, why didn't we attack Saudi Arabia? It's, this is all, it's, you get people riled up, you, you stir up their emotions and they grab their pitchforks, they just want to go get somebody. And, and you aim at whatever you want to go get. And, uh, you know, that's not how you begin an investigation. You need to first establish what happened before you can even determine who did it. If you don't know what it was, you don't have a crime. And the best example I like to give is the Casey Anthony trial. The uh, prosecution had not uh, finished their investigation. They had not determined what happened. So, you, you know, you can't convict somebody of <clears throat> what was the crime? What did she do? 
If you don't know what the crime was, how can you convict someone of it? it this doesn't mean she's innocent. doesn't mean she's guilty. It just means they had not solved the crime. And you have to first determine what happened. You know, was it was it was it premeditated, or was it accidental, or was you know who was involved? It, it, there's a whole lot to it. You first need to establish what happened. It's the most important thing, and that is sort of the insulation someone could give themselves to make them less um, susceptible to being coerced or or psyoped. Well, isn't this exactly well, not exactly, but somewhat similar to what's happening right now? with the Syria situation. You know, the media is telling us that that uh, a lot of people got gassed, but they are telling us here in the United States that, oh, it must have been the Assad regime. Nobody's doing a forensic investigation. Why is it that we jump so, so quickly into conclusions? Let's just go and attack. Since when did we become judge, jury, and executioner without having actually forensically studying what happened? Yeah, we're we're back to the witch hunt days, the Salem witch hunts. There's, there's no difference because they're you know here this person is the witch. They're a witch because they're standing on two feet in front of us. They're a witch because they have a pencil in their hand. They're you know, whatever they need to conjure up that proves that they're a witch. And it's it's uh, probably a very um, barbaric or elementary uh, instinct, you know, to 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 go after something kind of like dog fights, you know, you get dogs fighting each other. Well, people are being turned into that. They're devolving. And it's important to be able to think first before you do. Don't let your emotions do get tugged because that's how it works. Think of advertising campaigns on TV, you know, especially the TV ads with the starving children in Africa. Here, send your money now, and, and that tugs at people's hearts, and so they write they write a check. Doesn't matter if the money ever ends up there or not. It's it's how they get pulled into it, um, and and emotions you know, are very much used. I think you could you can cite lots of examples. You know, they have a babe sitting in a car, so if you buy this car, you can have a babe like this too. That's the implied message. Advertising works by emotions. So why why run things on, on advertising campaigns? But they work. They work. But they bypass critical thinking. Isn't this why people, when they watch TV, and I discussed this with uh, Neil Sanders and others, isn't that why people, when they watch TV, they almost fall asleep? Because since they're not thinking, their their, their mind is essentially being taken over by what's coming from the subliminal tube. Exactly. And it's like they have a big funnel and are just pouring in, you know, whatever they want this person's thoughts to be. And the, the same, that's what advertising campaigns are about. Now, why do people think that they need a product? Oh, because everybody else has. I need it. Why? Well, I just need it. You know, it, children are, are very easily a target for that because they don't have much experience in life and they can easily get suckered into things. And so, you know, a lot of advertising is aimed at them, and you get the kid to want something so bad they kick and scream until mommy gives it to them. Well, not only that, I've seen commercials during Christmas time. When you see the actual message of the commercial uh, uh, told in such a way that the child can convince the parents to buy that product. Exactly. 
Exactly. It's it's done on emotion. And and not it doesn't have anything to do with reason. And you know, grabbing your pitchforks and going after the bad guy is uh seems justified. I don't know if we should mention that article from the that you saw, I think this morning or last night. Oh about the, the Bush doctrine. Yes. Oh yes. yeah, mention it please. Well why don't you go ahead go ahead and uh you read more of the details probably. Let me the, find the, it. <laughs> There's a guy in Florida who I think was on Monday on Labor Day who um, decided his, uh, he needed to do preemptive murdering because his neighbors had said they were going to come get him. So, you know, before they came to get him, he was going to go get them. Right. The, the actual title of the uh, news clip is Florida Man Sets Bush Doctrine After Preemptive Killing of Neighbors at Labor Day Cookout. So he actually went to the neighbors, shot the three of them. Two are dead, and one, the one who's still alive, hanging for life, uh, was shot 11 times. And it, it makes uh, sense that if this is the example our country has, you know, Bush uh, did this preemptive war on Iraq and Afghanistan and so forth, based on we got to get them before they get us. And, you know, I, I don't doubt that this guy, you know, believed that these guys were, were bad news for him. Now, how does somebody make that decision is another another issue but you know why don't we solve problems other ways you know preemptive killing yeah get them before they i, I thought they're going to get me so i'm going to go get them first let's talk a moment once again about peer pressure and groupthink because i think this is this is almost like a pandemic worldwide especially when it comes to sports i've never really been such a, a big sports fan i'd like to play them but I don't like, I feel like I'm wasting my day watching it. But anyway, that's just me. I don't mean to offend anybody who, who loves sports. But I remember back in 93, I was living in Mexico and I was invited to a a, uh, a soccer game in, in the in the Estadio Azteca, which is, it, it can hold 104,000 people and the place was packed. Anyway, I was told, hey, we're going to pick you up at X, you know, time. I didn't know I was wearing a blue shirt. And they picked me up. And they saw the blue shirt, which is the shirt that the opposite team, not the national team, was wearing. I I, I thought they were going to shoot me. Honestly, they said, if you come to that stadium with that shirt, you will be ripped apart, literally. And, you know, when I think about these things, how people and their group think manipulates them, it's more or less what happened on 9-11. If you don't believe the, the official story, and I think that a lot of people are not believing the official story, then you have multiple doors. And those who perpetrated it knew this. As you, you and I have talked about, Lenin said it best, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it ourselves. Let's create a few other alternative uh, stories. So if they don't believe the official story, give them thermite. If they don't believe thermite, give them nukes. If not, demolitions. And it goes on and on and on. And because... Groups because they're given an answer, right? Exactly. They're given an answer, and and people like answers to questions. As soon as they have an answer, they they quit looking for the, you know, for what happened. They they feel like it's been solved for them. So if you don't like the lie behind door number one, you know, the uh, a lone gunman Lee Harvey Oswald shot shot the president. Well, we'll give you a lie behind door number two. If you don't like the lie behind door number two, we'll give you a lie behind door number three. Anything to keep people occupied in, in those doors so they don't turn around and see the wide open field of evidence behind them. 
And the same for 9/11. If if you don't, if you come out of the, the the lie number one door, you know, 19 bad guys with box cutters, they steer you into door number two, thermite. And then if that one doesn't work, well, you come out. Well, they they have lie behind door number three waiting for you. They keep you in those doors. That's the false choice. As long as you you have to, oh, let's see, see the thermite of the official story, thermite of the official story. Mm, that's a false choice. It's like, uh, have you stopped beating your spouse yet? Any answer to that question is incorrect. That's right. That's right. It's a false choice, and you know it's a, it's a gotcha game. But if you're not aware that's what they're doing, you get sucked in, and oh, it must be thermite because it's not the official story. It's do the you only ever, other choice. Do you ever feel like? And the reason why I brought that blue shirt uh, example. Do you feel? Like me wearing that blue shirt, entering a stadium full of people wearing a green, red, and white shirt. Do you feel like that, isolated, because there are so many other planted stories? Do you feel like the outsider? Uh, somewhat. I realize this is what the game is. We have uh, you know, the hall monitor who guards door number one and sends them into door number two if they come out. You know, the lie behind door number two and so forth. And they, they, they're always keeping them occupied. So they, any, any door is good as long as it isn't the evidence. So all of them are united in uh, trashing me because I only present evidence. I don't present any theories, but they, they, call it, they call it a theory so they can discount it to keep people from looking at it. Because the objective is to keep people in this false choice dilemma. And I've got an example I uh, give, you know, as an analogy. If you get 1 plus 3 plus 9 plus 6 plus 4 plus 7 plus 2 plus 3 plus 9 plus 5 plus 8 equals 57. Is 57 a theory? I'm asking you. No, it's, it's fact. <laughs> Is it an opinion? Uh, no. Is it a view? Well, first of all, I, I couldn't add all those numbers in my head so i'm trusting that 57 is the right number but if okay. i were to get if i were to get a calculator and the answer was 57 then it's fact good 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 uh, answer it's is it a view no no is it a thesis no speculation no or is it a conclusion based on the sum of the information given the latter Okay, now, could you arrive at the same number, 57, if you omitted all but the last two numbers, you know, 5 plus 8? No. Bingo. So how can someone come up with what happened if they eliminate almost all of the evidence? I get this feeling that many people who attack your work do it because they think, who cares about what happened? Let's go get go the get bastards. Somebody. Exactly. Because of the emotion, because of the ad campaign, because of what we've been told and trained to do. Again, your book is, I'm not saying it's like, is a textbook, what you find in college. And many people are intimidated by that. And I wonder is because we have gotten so lazy that we don't want to learn and we don't want to touch that book. We don't want to go to school again. I wonder if that, that intimidates them, and that's why they don't want to look into it. No, I don't think so. I think they, well, in a way, yes. Any If they have to do anything on their own, they don't want to do it. It doesn't matter what my book looks like. They don't want my to look at my book because they want to be able to hold their, their theories as fact. They but want you to see, be able to, your book... And they want to be able to discount uh, evidence. They want to, they, they, they then, you know, assign... Uh, false theories to me, propaganda, and then debunk the propaganda. They don't. No, no one has 
has uh, refuted anything in my book, nor can they, because it's evidence. You cannot refute evidence. But you see, you don't push. When I read your book, the first thing, first thing I noticed after the first few pages is that you don't not you do not push a belief. You basically are are telling the reader to come to their own conclusion based on the evidence that you present. And this is why I just don't get when I hear people all the time the trying to debunk you with with baseless facts that they obviously have not read it. They, they, they refute ray beams from outer space, but that's not what my book's about, or, or space beams, because this is what the rumor mill has said. I really think that you know, with this reliance on the internet – uh, that it's 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 sort of really aiding to the destruction of human thought because the opinions are ready made for them that they just can select you know the, a lot of people feel that an opinion and an internet connection make them an expert about whatever belief that they they want to select on the internet as though it's a it's a computer game and you get to pick the outcome and the outcome is well I don't want to you know believe that such weapons exist so I'm going to pick another choice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that firecrackers did it or that um, uh, chocolate chip cookies destroyed the buildings. Ah, then I'll feel safe. So they feel like it's a choice and, well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I've heard that a lot. Or everyone's entitled to their own views. This is not a view. This is not an opinion. Uh, the towers basically uh, turned to powder in midair. Most of them did. Not, not, I'm not saying 100%. That's another thing that the uh, opposition likes to say. Oh, she's saying every single bit of the building turned to dust in midair. No, the majority of the building turned to dust in midair. And that's demonstrated by, you know, all the evidence is consistent with it. <clears throat> now, can you define, for those who always, and I hear this all the time, and they call you Judy Woods, first of all, it's Wood. Why is it that they say Judy Wood's theory, hypothesis, and they never say evidence? Why is that? To instill doubt. It's a way of, of being able to undermine the credibility of evidence. It's a way of denying evidence, marginalizing evidence. And, for example, uh, there are firefighters waiting in knee-deep water uh, right after the event. On 9-11, there was a water main that was broken, and they're wading through it. Yet folks say that uh, it was real hot, you know, molten metal. Did they use their waders to go through the molten metal? It, it, you know, it doesn't make sense. They don't stop to think. And if it was molten metal, where's the resolidified big nuggets of of you know, re-solidified metal. I, I'm not saying there was no liquid metal, but it was not hot because, you know, you'd have steam explosions. You have to look at the evidence. I think we all are, can remember the paper that was blown all over the place. Why wasn't the paper on fire if it was so hot? And the biggest thing is the 14 survivors in Stairway B, they walked out of there on their own steam. I mean, their own their own way of getting out of there. Uh, they didn't complain about having been cooked to death. You know, come back from the dead, having been cooked. No, they they were alive. And uh, it, it's another thing. Oh, all went into the basement. Well, they haven't established that. They're just putting that out there as a theory. But that theory is easily 
uh, omitted saying, well, did the building fall down, make a detour around those 14 people to get to the basement? How could it fall into the basement and go around those people in stairway B? So there's a lot of – if you look at the the facts, it omits this other. But then that takes away – these people's security blanket, if they don't, if they can't handle what happened, they want to believe that all the material was there, it was just stuffed into the basement, even though there wasn't enough room in the basement to fit the buildings. You know, I, I remember during college, I took criminal law, and I remember that there was a an order of crime solving, and, and you know, they discussed uh, forensic science, which is the application of scientific knowledge and a methodology to legal problems and criminal criminal investigations. Isn't this this the same way you must treat this crime scene in 9-11? Very much. It must begin with what happened. And there's a statement um, by uh, Dr. Eric Larson that says, The scientific method, as it came into being during the Enlightenment period, is a method of thought known as empiricism or as the empirical method. Under the terms of empiricism, all conclusions are, must, and can be drawn from observable evidence and from observable evidence only. Evidence must precede any and every conclusion to be drawn from it. Then, if sound logic governs the relationship between evidence and the conclusions drawn from it, that conclusion will be irrefutable. This is why, in my book, the conclusions are irrefutable. I don't come to any conclusions beyond what the evidence makes uh, undeniable. And that's why no one can refute it. But you see, you go back to 9-11. Right on that day, without any investigation at all, we already knew who did it. And why, and the whole thing. And shouldn't evidence precede a decision, not decision preceding evidence? Very much. And same with uh, Colin Powell with his little test tube of, of powder in front of the UN in, what was it, 2002, the fall? Actually, he, the, the tube, the, the, the actual container was empty, but he was saying, if this were full of it, this, what it would, this is what it would do. Oh, I thought he had some powder in it. Maybe he put some talc or talc or something. Right, right. And, and you know, my question then is, uh, what happens if he dropped it? Would it, you know, is he threatening the U.N.? Right. But, but props stir up emotions. If he had proof, show us the proof. Don't show us uh, props. But, but people, you know, it, it, that leads people to assume. And people saw that vial. And, and it automatically goes into their mind as having seen proof. Even though there, there was no proof there. I mean, if there had been proof there, it, you know, what is he doing dangling it in front of the UN? But yeah, the, bo- it, the, bo- the bottom line of that that uh, PR day, same thing I was mentioning this in, in many interviews in the past few weeks because of what's happening with Syria. During 1990, they showed this girl, uh, supposedly a, a Kuwaiti girl, talking about, you know, Saddam's soldiers were taking all the babies incubators. from incubators, put him on the yeah. cold floor to, to die, when in reality she was the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador in Washington. She was trained by Hilton and Knowles, a PR firm that the Bush was very close to, the Bush administration. Now we have this situation now uh, with Colin Powell. The bottom line of this was to to 
make people emotional about it. The same thing that's happening now. They're showing the pictures of the dead bodies of women and children gassed in Syria. They're not telling you who did it. They're saying that it happened. And if it happened there, who's the one that has a chemical weapons? Well, it must be the regime. So let's go and get into another war. And people are not questioning. However, uh, let me just step back for a second. I'm seeing that 90% of the U.S. population, every poll I see, is against doing this. Do you think people are waking up and they're realizing that they're lying to us? Finally, people are waking up about it? Uh, yeah. Was it fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. <laughs> All right. And uh, it, it's, it, it's happening too frequently. And if they have questions about 9-11, 9-11 was uh, sort of like the mother of all, uh, you know, psyopses. I mean, to to confuse the entire planet just about, just about the entire planet. There's probably a few others like me who looked and said, wait a minute, that building's turning into dust in midair. Collapses don't do that. You know, what, what's going on here? And need to first look at what happened. But most people are run by our emotions and, and they're they're sort of conditioned into that. They're conditioned into picking from the false choices that are presented to them. And they grab their pitchforks and go after the witch. And so if you if if somebody wants to uh get the US into war, just you know, do something emotional to to people and you, you get a kind of a blank check. Uh, but if if uh, the president or whatever decided to take people to war without doing that, it, it wouldn't work. He, he's outnumbered. <laughs> you, you need uh, participants. You need willing participants to go to do the dirty work, and uh, people wouldn't would buy into it. They wouldn't let their children go off to a you know war of aggression. They have to trick them into something else. Now let's talk for a moment about the quote unquote weapon or technology that was used. How can we confirm that this weapon exists? Because you saw the result? Well, a lot of people, uh, you know, again, various theories, you know, people come up with mini nukes, mini nukes did it, thermite did it. They're starting out with how or who, you know, so-and-so knew so-and-so had an office in this building or that, but oh, gotta go get them. They start out with everything but what happened. But we're going to look at what happened. What happened is the building turned, most of the building turned to dust in midair. And so, you know, let me ask you, uh, were the towers once there? Yes. Yeah, I've been in there. I know that they're there. Are, are they still there? No, and I can prove they were there because I was there. I have a picture on August 11th being on top of the <laughs> building with my wife. If I had been what, there. What a day. What, what a, a day. day. Exactly. 11th um, but the towers are not still there so we know that they went away okay we saw the over half you know most most of the building turned to dust in midair yes yes or no yes now based on that uh, does there exist a uh, well, let me technology they can do that bad choice of semantics if I may, may rephrase this okay and this is this is how Many people think when they see the footage, because they see the material somewhat going from up, down, motion, they, that's what they, they're thinking, perhaps, that they, they're used to watching demolitions of, of buildings. And maybe this is why that this is the closest thing in their conventional wisdom. 
Bingo. False choice. False choice. And just because they're not used to. It's incomprehensible for somebody to see something solid turn into dust. It does not fall within their learned parameters. It's not that they're trying to ignore the evidence. I think it's because it's something so exotic that they don't get it. Or they, they're because their educational training, they, they go for the multiple choice answers. Either it's this, this, or this. These are the only things I know about. So therefore, it's got to be one of those. Rather than what happened. If you look at what happened, the towers went away. They mostly turned to dust in midair. Once you look at that, therefore, we know that something can turn them mostly into dust in midair must exist. That's the proof right there. You don't need to have it in a catalog of, of uh, choices or in a multiple choice test. But if you give people mo- multiple choice tests and say, you got to pick from this, it, it isn't going to work. And why I came up with the new word dustification, it's not pulverization, it's not vaporization. It's a process we haven't seen before. So it needs a new word, dustification. Vaporization implies high heat, that the buildings were cooked to death. You have really high heat to have turned into a vapor. Good that point, didn't good happen. Point. Yeah, many people use that term, vapor, they, they vaporized, right? That means that uh, they got cooked to death. You would have seen much higher than you know the whole building glowing. And, and people would have been blinded by the light. On paper, it, yeah, like that song. Uh, but paper would have burnt too. Yep. And so it wasn't vaporized. And uh, actually, some of the first responders have said that the initially – the the dust cloud felt cooler than ambient temperature, which is interesting. And it started itching their skin. It was like acid. You know, it feels like it's burning. But the, the temperature itself was cooler than ambient temperature of the dust cloud. Why do I think uh, about cold fusion when I think of this? Ah, uh, yeah, it might, might uh, do something. You know, a lot of energy coming apart there, too. But the other thing is, uh, you know, people use the word uh, pulverized. The building was pulverized. Right. Pulverized is, you know, if you hit something with a hammer, if you use a wrecking ball, if you um, blow something apart with bombs, it's, it's, you know, physically pounding on something. The building wasn't beaten to death. You see the steel pieces falling in midair, trailing dust, effervescing into dust as they fall, and they don't hit the ground. So you're distilling the words to the common denominator. You're boiling them down because I even use those words, pulverize, vaporize. But when you define them, you realize that it's an incorrect definition. And dustified is the most appropriate one. Exactly. Exactly. Because we don't have a word in our vocabulary that, that describes that. And the definition of dustification is... Whatever it was that happened to the buildings, <laughs> that's the definition. So it can't be wrong. Uh, but what happened to the buildings is not vaporization, is not pulverization. You know, initially it kind of looks like it pulverized, and if it did, then but that doesn't you know add up uh, mathematically. You, you know, like a gravity collapse, something smacking something else, and and uh, you know everything turning dust. You don't have enough energy to pulverize everything on the floor, much less break the next floor loose. And so forth. So, uh, you know, pulverization doesn't work. Also, if you had uh, enough, you know, hammers, lots of little mini hammers, one big hammer, big wrecking ball, a, a missile, bombs, whatever, hitting things, it would have registered on the seismic sc- uh, scales various places. And that didn't happen. It didn't travel through the earth. So it didn't, you know, bang to the ground. What do you hear from the debunkers? No, that's not true. 
I would have heard about that. The media would have reported it. That's what you hear. Uh, or uh, that's just bogus because uh, she compares it to the Seattle Kingdom. The Seattle Kingdom has a different foundation and blah, blah, blah. Uh, across from the Hudson River was a, a gas storage facility that blew up. It was in the 80s, I think. It was in the 90s, it, 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 before 9-11. It blew up and made a 3.0 on the Richter scale. There was S waves and P waves, the main waves that travel through the Earth. You know, the, the primary wave gets there first, then the secondary wave arrives, and that uh, lag in time, because they travel at different speeds to the Earth, that lag time shows how far away the epicenter is. And we've all, I think, kind of heard that before. With the towers and Building 7, it, there's no signal that traveled through the Earth that was picked up in any of the seismic charts. There was only surface waves. Surface waves are what you would get if King Kong had long arms and reached over and picked up the towers <laughs> yeah. and just tossed them out into space. It's, just, it's from taking the weight off the ground. Like getting off your mattress in the morning, you unload the mattress, it springs back. Or, or getting off the sofa. But if you have a bang, 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 you know, hammering down the building like a pile driver or bombs going off, etc., you should get something traveling through the earth. The gas storage facilities right across from the Hudson River made a 3.0 on the Richter scale. The towers, which are many times bigger, they're 2.1 and a 2.3 on the Richter scale. So, you know, and those were above ground explosions. Uh, the uh, the uh, gas storage facility, as well as the Seattle King Dome. The, the towers were 30 times, that's 3 times 10, 30 times more potential energy that should have slammed to the ground compared to the King Dome, but they did not make a bigger signal. What about these people that say, oh, I heard an explosion or two? Well, if you turn the building into, into dust in midair, uh, you're going to hear explosions. <laughs> uh, you think of just a water tank. They have water tanks all up and down that building because they have to pump water up to get to wherever. And they have various storage facilities because you can't pump it. Those buildings are over a quarter mile tall. You can't pump water up a quarter mile. Right. Too much head. So they pump it up in a tank and then to another tank, kind of a leapfrog. And I understand from some people who work there that they pump the water generally at night. Uh, but you have these water tanks. So if if the uh, side, those are pressure vessels. If the, the side of those pressure vessels are beginning to weaken, turn to dust, at some point they're not going to be able to contain the pressure. And they're going to rupture. There are also uh, many uh, uh, firefighters at ground level who witnessed oxygen tanks or the air tanks that the firefighters wear. They call them Scott Packs. They witnessed those exploding at ground level. So did they put bombs in the, you know, in the air tanks? I don't think so. There were witnesses to the sound of explosion. There were no witnesses to bombs. So hearing explosion, hey, you take a, a can of hairspray and toss it in your campfire, you're going to hear That's an explosion, right. I think. Yeah, and, I, I, and I did just that when I was a kid. Stupid me. Uh, good thing you survived it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let me just say something that just occurred to me. I just thought everybody's just clamoring for a new investigation. But I was just thinking, imagine a trial scenario. You have a trial. We've seen so many trials lately. A trial scenario where you have, you know, 12 jurors there, 
And why not have people like you, all the other so-called truth seekers, researchers out there, the person that talks about nukes, the person that talks about thermite, the person who talks about uh, demolitions, why not have everybody present in one single location? Present and let the people decide without having to say, my research is better than yours, which is really what I hear from the other side. They're always saying, my research is better than yours, therefore, your research is irrelevant. Uh, truth doesn't have sides. Exactly. It's devo- side. Truth, truth have- is devoid of ego. And it, and it doesn't have sides. And if you want unity, oh, we need unity, then seek the truth. Then everybody will be aiming in the same direction. It, nothing, no one has refuted any of what I've, I've presented. They can't. It's evidence. And you can't refute evidence. It's not a theory. And so what they do is, well, it's just a theory, so let's discount it. Let's ignore it. Let's ignore this evidence because it's a theory. That's what it ends up being. But what we can say from looking at the evidence, you know, what do we know that we know that we know? I often say that. It's important to know what we know that we know and know that everything else we don't know and don't fill in that gap with guesses, um, you know, theories and whatnot, because then you're not determining what happened. You're solving an imaginary problem then, one that you've imagined, those connections. But what do we know that we know? Well, we can eliminate that kinetic energies were used. That's that's what pulverizes something. You know, uh, big slingshot, lots of hammers, big hammer, you know, wrecking ball, missile, bombs, uh, firecrackers, pea shooters. You know, those are something that uses kinetic energy to, to hit its target. Now, thermal energy, the buildings weren't cooked to death. They didn't vaporize. So we can eliminate the cause of destruction being fire, hot nukes, uh, you know, thermite, uh, hot laser beams from space. All those things can be eliminated as the cause because the buildings were not cooked to death. They weren't beaten to death. They weren't cooked to death. So what's left? Energy got directed somehow, you know, remotely was instructed. That's what I mean by directed energy. It was instructed to do something differently than it normally does. Also, directed energy as in uh, geographically, you know, j- just buildings with a WTC prefix, not the building across the street. And it, uh, that's another thing. If, um, if it was a, a kinetic energy weapon, you know, when the building gets smashed down, pieces go flying out. So all the adjacent buildings would have appeared to be machine gun fired from the junk flying, from kinetic energy, from stuff, you know, the shrapnel. But the buildings weren't, for the most part. Yeah, there's a piece here and there. But right across the street from um, Building 7 is the post office. Basically, not a scratch on it. It may have had a scratch here or there, but you know, it was no, no significant damage to it. The sidewalk was even bare in a couple of places right adjacent to the building. And that's just three lanes of traffic away from a 47-story building. Uh, that makes sense. So... We we know that it wasn't kinetic energy. We know it wasn't thermal energy. Energy was directed in some way. <clears throat> what a lot of the uh, debunkers tried to say is, oh, the only directed energy weapon I know of, again, false choices, uh, is, is a laser beam from space. So she must be talking about a laser beam from space. Well, that would be like my saying, uh, the only kinetic energy weapon I know of is a pea shooter. So they're saying a pea shooter shot down the building? It's ridiculous. We're talking about categories of weaponry. Thermal energy, kinetic energy, 
or directed energy. Let me ask you, when, let's take uh, you know, one of those uh, structures that we see on TV being demolished. Do they fall at, uh, if you throw a billiard ball from the top, would they fall at the same speed? Well, they're, they're, um, if, if you start timing it when you hear the bang, bang it's it, it, like this, uh, there's a video of uh, the landmark um, building in Texas somewhere. I think it was in Houston or is it, anyway, someplace in te- Texas. And you hear this bang, 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 bang. And then the building starts falling. And if you've chopped up all the, the building into pieces, it, it will start falling together. But you've heard a lot of bang, 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 bang going on beforehand. The same with the Seattle Kingdom. You hear all this bang, 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 before you see the action, before the thing starts starts falling in. And uh, sound travels slower than that light might. travels. So if you hear the bang, 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 before you see the building start moving, you know it's a, you know, a time lag there of the, of the bombs going off before the building goes. And, and you know, it's you always hear this like earth-shattering bang, 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 bang sound or ear-shattering. It's it's loud. You cannot ignore it. And the there's a video um, of a woman being interviewed on West Street, just north of the World Trade Center complex on that day. And behind her is Building Seven. And I don't know if it was the cameraman or the interviewer or if they're one and the same, but uh, he's he's. She's saying something. She's talking on the film, and and uh, they they say whoa 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 because <laughs> they see the building halfway to the ground behind her, and there's there's no sound. It is you can hear people talking down the street and over yonder, and you know somebody hitting something with a hammer. You don't hear any bang 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 bang. That's true. A, That's true. And let me ask you. I keep thinking of of group think. I keep thinking of a. Uh, poor problem-solving skills. You know, when you take a multiple-choice test, doesn't that make students lazier lazy or weak, oh, weaker? Because, oh, there must be one of them must be right. I'll just pick one of them. As opposed to doing your own research and, and writing it down. So are these the problem-solving skills and putting the multiple choice, isn't this why people are programmed to accept the choices that are given to them, whether it's government or media? Exactly. Uh, I gave um, a multiple choice portion of a final exam one year because I had uh, three exams to grade and to turn in the, the grades like two days later. And, that, and so I did the work upstream from that by having this portion. Not all of the tests was multiple choice. Good thing because everyone would have failed, uh, and you know, I'm not. I don't do standard <laughs> tests, so it's. But people are conditioned to the standard multiple choice tests, so this it starts out real easy. You know, the definition of normal stress is force divided by the area over which it's distributed. The average normal stress, you know, force divided by area. So this one question: you have a, a rope with a one square inch cross section with a ten pound weight on it. What is the average stress across there? Well, you know, 10 pounds divided by one square inch. And here we have five choices. You have somebody crossing out the biggest number, crossing out the smallest number, and flipping a coin for, you know, some position in between, rather than just answering the questions. And I I came to the realization they're getting a zero 
they're scoring zero on the test because they're trying to psych out the that's what I call it psych out the the answers rather than read the problem process of that's, elimination right and just in and play this uh, game that works or probably I'm sure has worked on the majority of multiple choice tests that they've taken but in this case we have been given a multiple choice test with all these alternative stories and people are not thinking of the none of the above choice right they don't they don't know how to solve a problem beginning with it, it, one of the the first courses students take in engineering is statics engineering statics and it's it's like boot camp you need to learn how to make your problem statement and then what's given in the problem you know what are the boundary conditions draw a line across what are you looking for draw a line across and then start solving the problem and I got very rigorous about that in the grading at the beginning of the course because once you establish that pattern how to solve problems you're good to go for the rest of your life but you first must learn how to establish what the problem is you're solving too many people want to you know jump into here are the numbers given in the problem punch them in the calculator check the back of the book nope stir the numbers around check the back of the book nope stir the numbers around they never look at the problem statement what's being asked for what what do you need to solve the problem what are you given what information are you given? So if we approach it that way, you know, what problem are you solving? Ask yourself, what problem are you solving? You need to start out with a problem statement or you can't solve it. You know, what is it that you're solving? And that's, you know, establishing what happened in terms of forensic science. So it's so important. You know, empirical evidence is not a theory. It is the artifact truth left behind. That's an important quote to remember. Um, there was someone on a, on a blog who had stated it, and I, I thought that was just beautiful. Because it, it's, it's, here are the clues. Let's go get, look for clues. Let's go look at the evidence. Once you gather enough, you don't have to think beyond that. Just gather enough pieces of evidence until it's, boom, hits you in the face. So we see the buildings turn to dust in midair. We, we see it from you know, 10 different ways. So therefore, something that turns buildings to dust in midair exists. Now, you know, let's go down the multiple choice list. Thermite, it can't do that. Bombs, can't do that. Big bombs, little bombs, in between size bombs, things that go boom, can't do that. Things may go boom as a result of that, but the boom does not cause what happened. The buildings mainly turn into dust in midair. But the fact that the world, the entire planet just about, uh, you know, was psyoped on this, that's scary. I hate to say it, but I've seen people call you every name under the sun. One of them being a shill, another one being a Zionist, because you don't put the Israel word anywhere. You don't accuse the Bush administration. You don't accuse this. You don't accuse that. But this is not your job. Your job is to basically show what happened that day. You're not crossing that line of looking at the so-called accused. Right. You must begin with it. And unbiased observations of what happened. If you say Israel did it, well, let's see, what, what weapons does Israel have? Oh, Mos that weapon Mossad. must have been used. Yeah, and so let's go see what weapons, you know, what, what evidence of, of that weapon were that were there. The, the thermite story is just that. They needed weapons, so they come up with thermite. You know, of a, Actually, I, that idea was planted by someone who knows about the, the cold fusion. They actually were the ones who named that term cold fusion, that's interestingly enough, who came up with the thermite story. And, and that 
gets people derailed. But you can't take that into court because thermite is a welding material. You're telling me a welding material turned the building into powder in midair? No, they're just saying, you know, traces of, uh, you know, aluminum powder and traces of, of iron oxide were found in the dust. Well, duh, the building was turned to dust. And I'm no <laughs> expert. The building made out of? I'm no expert. But if, let's say thermite, and by the way, folks, I get a lot of emails from people saying, Mel, have you looked into the work of this person who deals with thermite and nukes and all of them? And believe me, I have looked at a lot of them. And if somebody can come to me and convince me with evidence about something else, I am willing to listen. I don't have a problem listening. I'm not debunking anybody. I'm just listening to what people have to say. And whatever convinces me with my own discernment is what I stand uh, stand strong with. At the end of the day, as, as some people say, you know, my, my uh, opinion is valid until midnight tonight. If somebody comes along with something better, I'm all open for it. But just to discount something because you do not accuse somebody or you do not um, put names into it, that's not enough to, to debunk somebody's work. It's, it's witch hunt. It, it's, uh, it's using some arbitrary criteria to convict somebody on a witch hunt. And we need to be very careful not to do that. So if if you don't have any preconceived ideas about what happened, and this is how I approach things like um, like Sandy Hook or uh, Boston or you know Oklahoma City, whatever is when when the Boston thing happened, I wasn't going to listen to anybody else. I I got pictures and some videos without looking at any of the words. I just look at what do I see in the pictures, what do I see in the evidence, and same with uh, uh, Sandy Hook. So. You know, remember, know what you know that you know. Well, w what evidence do we have in Sandy Hook? Nothing. All right, we're done. No point in speculating because that's not going to solve anything. That's just, that's an imaginary problem you'd be solving. If there's no evidence that you have that you know that you know that you know that you've, you know, are sure you have established, if you don't have that, you've got nothing. But with 9-11, uh, we have plenty of evidence, plenty of evidence that is absolutely confirmed ten different ways, and uh, remember, if it's irrefutable, you know it's 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 solid. You can't uh, refute empirical evidence. What I also do provide in my book, you know, evidence of what happened in 9/11, but also parallel evidence. And people say, oh, you have the the Hutchinson effect is a theory. You have the hurricane theory. You have the the light bulb theory is, you know, I, I say hot things glow, but not everything that glows is hot because there's things glowing in the evidence from 9-11, like a glowing piece of something on a piece of paper. The paper's not burning, so it can't be glowing because it's hot. It's got to be glowing for some other reason. Be, and I say hot things glow, but not everything that glows is hot. And the example I give in my book is an incandescent light versus a fluorescent light. One's hot, one's not. They both glow. Well, I don't have a, a theory that the light bulbs uh, caused the destruction of the World Trade Center. This is just parallel evidence of various phenomenon. And looking at John Hutchison's work, it's the same thing. Here is, is something we know that someone has done, and it produces this evidence. Hmm, it looks like parallel evidence. And uh, looking at the work of, of Thomas Townsend Brown, the same sort of thing. Looking at the work of, of um, Pons and Fleischmann. Because at the World Trade Center, there's uh, this uh, uh, thing called tritium that was found. 
It's not huge off the scale. And it's got like a 12 and a half year half-life and it goes away, but it's it's from some kind of nuclear reaction, not a nuke bomb, but some sort of, not necessarily, but uh, you know, if it was a nuke bomb, you'd have a huge amount more. Plus, you'd have a lot of ionizing radiation. Uh, people all over the world with, with their Geiger counters would <laughs> detect it. You know, as I like to say, is do you think they could have kept Chernobyl a secret? People measure that all over the planet. You could see the path that it traveled around the planet, around the globe. But this tritium also is found in cold fusion, what has been termed cold fusion. Stephen Jones named it cold fusion. It's low energy nuclear reactions. Well, I've heard that it, this it, could be the, the the energy source of the future, tritium. Or uh, this this type of technology, and there's a lot we have not learned in school. We've we've been taught that it doesn't exist, but here's a very simple uh, explanation. We have we know about uh, we've taught about electricity, and we taught, we've been told there's gravity. We haven't told where it comes from, and magnetism. Well, we know you can wrap a, a wire around a nail, plug it into a 9-volt battery, and that nail becomes a magnet. So we know there's a relationship there that electricity can cause magnetism. We also know from hydroelectric power plants, you move a conductor through a magnetic field, or move the magnet around the conductor, and voila, you generate electricity. So we know that you can turn uh, you know, magnetism into electricity. But also, something that people may not realize that magnetism affects gravity. The Boyd Bushman did this experiment where uh, he got you know similar rocks and then hollowed out in the middle of three three different rocks, hollowed out in the middle a slot for magnets, well or or a dummy metal for the control. And in one he stacked the magnets so they like each other, they're stuck to each other. Put those in that one. And then the next one is just, you know, unmagnetized metal. And then the third one had the magnets fighting each other and clamped them together and stuck them in the, the slot. Uh, would you know that those did not fall at the same rates? The ones where the magnets are fighting each other fell more slowly than the control. And where the magnets like each other, it fell faster than the controls. People have repeated this experiment. So this shows that magnetism affects electricity. If magnetism affects, I mean, uh, gravity, if magnetism affects gravity and electricity affects magnetism, electricity then can affect gravity. So this is some of the work of Thomas Townsend Brown trying to get you know, aircraft to fly faster um, with, with you know, charging the, the, the leading edge of the airplane wings. Well, if anybody well, that wants to listen more about this, listen to my first interview with Dr. Paul Laviolette. We discussed this in detail. Oh, great. Fantastic. Yeah, and one, so, one question that I have about tritium. Let's stay with tritium for a second. Could this have been used, and because it's different than the, the – the, first of all, let me define for people who are wondering tritium. Tritium is also known as hydrogen-3. It's a radioactive isotope of hydrogen. The nucleus of tritium, tr tritium contains one proton and two neutrons, whereas the nucleus of, protonium, uh, of protium – by far, the most abundant hydrogen isotope contains one proton and no neutrons. How is, is does this definition help anybody listening? Uh, I I usually stay away from uh, you know the the those details that might scare people, you know who don't or, know. Or bore I, them. I, yeah, I like to bring it to the basic level. It's a subform of 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 uh, hydrogen. 
tritium is a subform. Well, you know, it's you've got different, you know, protons and neutrons and that that type of thing. But it's it starts as hydrogen. So something has affected its nucleus. That's what, what the reason why I'm asking this yeah. is. What do you think tritium do that day? Well, it isn't that you start out with tritium. That tritium may be a byproduct of something that's happening. Just like with John Hutchison's work, uh, he has a, a metal that you know, like like starts out with a piece of steel, and the affected zone ends up not being the same uh, components as the unaffected zone. Uh, like you know, aluminum or the, the the best one example is brass. Brass has a bunch of zinc in it and and copper, but um, it, more copper than zinc. But the affected region, the the copper goes away more than the zinc does, which shows it's not from temperature because if something was going to vaporize, it would be zinc that would go away first. And so it changes the um, material properties, I mean, not material properties, the constituents in the material. Or And what was also found at the World Trade Center is a whole lot more zinc. Then, uh, and that's in Bankers Trust when they chose to take that apart after they repaired it. They repaired the building. It was the building across from Tower Two that had that gash in it. They repaired it, and after they repaired it, they did this dust study. Based on the dust study, they decided they had to take the building apart. And it took them like ten years, but but um, uh, it found a whole lot more zinc in it. Like you know, I don't know, thirty-five hundred times, over three thousand times as much zinc in the dust samples as they did in the control. So it's there's something weird that happens there. They call it transmutation. And uh, some of the people in, in cold fusion, uh, one of them is uh, uh, John Bacris, was first came up with this. And there's some horrible um, articles written about him in Science Magazine, I think it was, saying that he spiked his samples, this quote, cold fusion samples with tritium to try to make it look like he did something. And he didn't have the ionizing radiation, so they decided his cold fusion must be bogus. Well, this particular type of low-energy nuclear reaction does not produce the, the heavy ionizing radiations that you get in regular fusion. And it's a different process, but it affects – there's something going on at the, at the uh, nuclear level. Is there a way to detect tritium with regular radiation detection – systems um i don't know how it's measured uh it, it it doesn't really not much of it penetrates your people's skin which is interesting but if you ingest it you know drink a few glasses of water of it then you get it in you but um it's it's something that would have to be measured from samples you know you take to the lab i think it, it, at the levels that were found in new york city which was very small it was definitely above background levels but it wasn't humongous levels like in my book i i give a relative charts of i think it was was it eighteen thousand times what you get in a, a leaky nuke plant what, what it produces um and it, you know compared to what uh you know quote cold fusion you know low energy nuclear reactions what they produce compared to what was found at the world trade center and compared to what is found in background levels and for background levels i used you know, the Great Lakes, Lake Superior, because that shows what has come out of the atmosphere rather than, you know, nuke plants and, and whatnot. 
Well, Judy, I'll mean to interrupt you, but we have to take our one and only intermission. When we come back, let's proceed with this. But also, if you don't mind, I'd like to discuss something that you posted at our forum. And uh, it's really a great story. I know you, you like to focus on 9-11, but there are other things that we're privileged to discuss with you too. And let me just read this quote, and we'll continue when we come back. Quote, I knew there was going to be an event the night before July the 7th, 2005. I didn't know it would be in London, but I knew there would be an event. I was so sure that I didn't email anyone or phone anyone about it for fear of being locked up as part of it. And I'm glad that you didn't tell anybody because I think you would have been locked up like Susan Lindauer with the Patriot Act. At any rate, tell us once again how to buy the book and learn more about your work. Go to wheredidthetowersgo.com. That's all one, one word, wheredidthetowersgo.com. Or go to uh, my website, that's drjudywood.com. That's D-R-J-U-D-Y-W-O-O-D. Last name has four letters. Uh, drjudywood.com. There's a video there that you may want to watch from the uh, Breakthrough Energy Conference in Holland last year. It's a fairly good video that's right at the, the top of my home page. Uh, the, there's also links there that you can go to the, the book site. And on the book site, is, um, you get a choice. You can go to uh, Amazon or you can buy the book there, whichever you prefer. It's, a, it's basically the same price for, for both. might be slightly more at Amazon if, uh, if you don't get free shipping, but it's the same if you have free shipping. Great. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with Dr. Judy Wood discussing her research and, and more. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important interview. To listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back. Enjoy.
This is Neil Sanders, and you are listening to Veritas. <laughs> 